accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We are continuing our coverage of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're up to Destiny. It's the 15th episode of the third season. First aired on the 13th of February, 1995. It was written by David S. Cohen and written by Martin A. Weiner as well. It was directed by Les Landau. In this episode, an ancient Bajoran prophecy of doom complicates the first joint Bajoran, Cardassian, and Federation science mission, an attempt to establish a permanent communications link through the wormhole. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? Good. I had I had no idea that the Cardassian uh, people all studied that book, The Game, when it comes to dating people. Yes, yeah. It, it's just like rule number one, you got to neg the shit out of her. Neg, neg hard, um, which is kind of a bullshitty made up thing, I think, about the Cardassians. I don't even know if that really fits with the Cardassians that I know and love. But um, yeah, you just if you're in a, if you're interested in pursuing a relationship, you just have to kind of be sarcastic towards them, I suppose. And very It seems like it seems like low grade Klingon. Yeah. It seems more Klingon y than Cardassian, I think. I don't know yeah. I don't know what I'd expect out of the Cardassians, but it certainly wasn't that. But um we're gonna get we're gonna get into the Cardassian mating rituals. Uh we're talking about destiny. And I think it's best if we just play an audio clip, take a break, and we'll come back and we're gonna break it down. So Yarka may be using this prophecy as a way to scuttle the peace treaty. That would seem to be his agenda. And it's probably coloring his view of the prophecy, just as your agenda colors how you see it. I don't have an agenda, Odo. I want this project to succeed because I want the peace treaty to succeed. If I thought for a moment that there was any possibility that this communications relay could cause damage to the wormhole, I'd put a stop to it right now. That's not the agenda I was referring to, Commander. Oh? I was referring to your desire to distance yourself from the title of emissary. It's just an observation, of course. But it's always seemed to me that you've never been comfortable with it. All right, so, Destiny, the 15th episode. We're sort of right in the middle of season three here. We're joined by Clay, and, um... Clay, I think that this is a, if anything, this is an episode that maybe calibrates perfectly or recalibrated for me what an average episode of DS9 can be, I think. Um, what did you think? I did not like this episode. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I just was, uh, it bored the shit out of me. I was really bored watching this episode. Um, I don't know. It, like, it was the combination of there not really being any conflict really plus the prophecy stuff which i don't really care for it was i don't know I, it, they they finally had to do something 10 minutes before it was over I, I don't know i just i was not a fan i like the stuff with o'brien and and uh the cardassian woman but about aside from that i didn't really like it yeah i think it's um i think it's an episode that doesn't really do any of its storylines very well it's the kind of star trek episode that and to me, it's the kind of middling ground where it's this, like, all the ideas are there, but nothing really clicks throughout the entire yeah. thing. It's just like everything seems a little bit off of where it needs to be for this to be interesting. And that's where it is for me. I didn't think it's, it's not like egregious and I don't watch it going like, oh, this is just, this is just falling apart at the seams, but it's really not very exciting to watch. And um, 
nothing is clicking. It's just like nothing is relating to anything else, and you don't get any sense of stakes or anything that's going on. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree totally. Like, I, it wasn't a bad episode. It was fine. I mean, it was... It, it worked, I guess, but it, it just... I didn't find it interesting at all. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, f- I like... I always like the idea of... Um... You know, Kira, Kira is is kind of of a Dana Scully character a little bit, where she's very practical and pragmatic, but she also has this religious background that she uh, that um, complicates things for her. Yeah, complicates things and and clouds her judgment every now and then, which I find interesting. I find that a, an interesting character aspect, and I like it when they get into that stuff. But I don't know. I j- I just found thought this was just so bland, and uh, it's it's definitely. Probably the most hard sci-fi of an episode that I've seen in a while. Like it's, it's about it's about people basically trying to run phone lines across a wormhole. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it's you know, the stuff they're doing is you know practical science fiction type stuff, and there's um, culture clashing stuff and everything. But it's like I don't know. It it just wasn't. This was just a a, a a dud for me. Yeah, I, I, I can appreciate that. I, I think that, um, well, let's start it off with what I consider to be a big problem with this episode and kind of a big problem with the third season. If you remember back when- I we, know what you're going to say. Kira's new haircut. Because <laughs> it's a little bit floppy. It's not as- it's Yeah, not, I don't like it. <laughs> it's too normal. She, it's just a normal human haircut. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, besides her haircut, I think that when we did the search- uh, and you were like, oh, this is getting pretty interesting and, and whatnot. And I was saying, well, the, the big problem with the third season of DS9 is that the writers are kind of unsure about what to do with the Dominion at this point. Um, mm-hmm. This is... This episode is like patient zero for the problem that they have with the Dominion because after everything they went through in the search, why are they trying to do this, <laughs> basically? Like, yeah. after... after And it, it also brings up the problem... Why does the Dominion not have a presence on the other side of the wormhole at this point? Um, They should have a, I don't know if I talked about it with you, but the Dominion should have their version of Deep Space Nine on the other side of the wormhole, right? Right, Um, right. So the the show realizes that its hands are tied. It doesn't know what to do with the Dominion, so it insists that it's going to send people into the wormhole to open up a communications thing. My question is, wouldn't the Dominion just shoot the shit out of this machine that they put yeah. on the other side? Like, how long do they expect this thing to last? Are they doing it just for the, yeah. the science or whatever? So I spend this entire episode wondering why they're doing it, even though they, uh, uh, I think they bring it up twice. They bring up the fact that the Dominion exists twice in this episode, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't increase the stakes. There's no urgency for them to be doing what they're doing. And mm-hmm. that's th- this is currently my big problem with season three of Deep, uh, Deep Space Nine as we stand right now is that they they don't know what to do with the Dominion storyline, but they can't just have them stay still. So they have to have episodes where they do things like this. Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree. I was thinking that the whole time I was like, there's so is there the other half of this episode is from the Dominion side where there someone says, uh, sir, they seem to be putting some sort of communication thing. On the other side of the wormhole. Okay, that's great. Wait 20 minutes and then blow it right. up. Right. Yeah, wait till they leave you know, and like, go shoot it. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, you've got so many interesting things that you could be dealing with in a more interesting manner as far as the Dominion or even the Cardassian stuff. Or, uh, 
And the, the whole thing in this episode is, oh, we just misinterpreted the text. Yes. You know, like that's the. It's the most cliche. Know, right? It's the most cliche way you can get out of this. Right. Like no one. It's fun. No one even brings up the prophecy as possibly being interpreted in different ways. At the, like in the start of the episode, he says yeah. this incredibly um, sort of figurative thing, like talking about vipers in the nest and the gates of heaven will open up. And no one says, well, I think you're just interpreting that wrong. Everyone takes the Vedic at his word when he comes in and they're mm-hmm. like, well, this is clearly what it means. He's clearly correct about this. And then at the end, it's such an obvious spin that I'm left kind of in the audience just a little bit dumbfounded that like no one no one thought about this like this is this is this is religion 101 that there are different interpretations of the text like no one seems to right. care about it and they 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 try to throw a little bit of a swerve in there that they don't even really commit to by having his defrocking be a thing and I, I guess to because of the Kardashians to make you th- yeah yeah I guess to make you think like oh maybe he's making this up or something but like even it, there's no clear indication of why he would be making this up or like what i guess just to stop them from working with the Kardashians. i don't yes, know but it, yeah. it it's not it's not very well planned or i shouldn't say it well planned but they don't commit to it so the bajoran thing is funny uh i'll bring sorry and and that guy doesn't even play a role no he doesn't like he just comes and he says like something creepy and then he leaves and then they're like hey that guy isn't even a vedic is that what it was vedic yeah vedic yeah yeah uh, oh, speaking of, I heard Belial's dead. <laughs> a, the fact that you mispronounced his name is fantastic. And uh, what what is it? How do you pronounce Burial. it? Burial. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. He's dead. Doesn't matter. He's dead. So I've never seen it written down. I don't know what it means. <laughs> well, actually, if you see it written down, you will never be able to pronounce it properly because it's one of those things where it's, it's <laughs> it is not phonetically appropriate to spell his name the way that he spells it. Um, yeah, I guess I. <laughs> I was going to ask you how he died, but I guess I could go back and watch the episode. <laughs> so, no, but it's actually fitting because it's one of my points that I wanted to bring up with you. You hadn't watched that episode, but Briel is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, he died to create this Cardassian Bajoran peace treaty that they're talking about in this episode. Okay, because I was going to, I forgot to ask you, because when they were getting into this, I was like, I feel like this is a little bit more chummy chummy than it usually is. Yeah, so they, Briel's death. He was the lead negotiator or whatever. He, his death allowed for this peace process to happen. So now the Cardassians and the Bajorans are working together on some kind of mutual basis, um, which is kind of a big event. Burial died. It was a terrible episode where Burial died. Um, mm. But we talked about in that episode how the Bajoran religious plot line has never really sunk in with the series. It's never really established itself. That's the reason I don't particularly yeah. like Burial because he doesn't, he, they, when they come in, they feel like they're coming out in out of thin air. They don't feel like they exist when the show is not showing them. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode is remarkable to me that it's probably the most, it deals the most strongly with the Bajoran emissary arc out of any of the episodes. And it happens after they basically kill the character that allows that arc to continue. Um, so you had mentioned you don't like the Bajoran religious arc, and I think I agree right. with you, but do you want to explain why you don't like it at this point and how it fits into this episode? Well, I mean, I've never, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm on record from episode one saying I don't like yep. it. Uh, it. It just, I don't know, it, it, it never really fit with me. Um, like, I don't have a problem with the concept of... Um, 
heavy religious belief versus science in a, in a Star Trek show. I mean, I think that's actually pretty interesting, and it's not something that they really ever explore too much, at least as far as I know. Yeah. Um, especially when dealing with a situation where Starfleet's in the middle of two warring cultures. I, uh, that could be really interesting. And it's when they looped uh, Cisco into it as being this, like, you know, the emissary yeah. thing, which I don't even... Like, I think part of it is, to this point, I'm not even really sure what that even means. I don't know what emissary uh, means either. Yeah. So, like, that's this big thing in the first episode, and up to this point, it does it hardly ever comes up, and when it does, it's just like, oh, yeah, that thing that's undefined. Yes. See, I... And it's it, it's just that, that stuff is what bothers me about it, because I, I don't like when those vaguely... Um, vaguely religious terms are used as like shortcuts for stuff like this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that stuff. If you've, if there's more of a plan to it and if it's a little bit more well-defined as to what the purpose of it is, but it just seems like, you know, having these prophets and these emissaries doesn't really create any tension or conflict among anybody other than the fact that every now and then somebody shows up and says, well, the emissary is supposed to do this because of the prophecy. And then Cisco goes, huh? Well, I don't really know what to do now. Right. And then he goes, oh, wait, I'm a fucking Starfleet captain. I'm going to do what I'm going to do anyway and not worry about this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the the Bajoran stuff suffers for me because it's it seems clear to me that the writing staff wasn't really interested in it because they touch on it so lightly um, mm-hmm. in all the previous events. It's very important to the series like design from the uh, original point, but they, they gave up on it really quickly. It's extremely vague. You never, it's, it's sort of a parody of religion. Like it's a lot of like just titles and people wearing robes and prophecies and stuff and vague sounding titles, as you said. Yeah. So, and I don't think they've ever really clarified what the emissary is in the Bajoran uh, religion. But in this episode, Cisco's looking at and he says there's like hundreds of prophecies about what the emissary will do. I think, I think the emissary is supposed to be basically a Jesus Christ figure who mm-hmm. will sort of bring balance to the force for lack of a better word like he's going to he's going to um sort of balance out the bajoran religion and and fix everything for them so he's sort of their savior on some level um yeah that's i don't know yeah i'm not really interested no in <laughs> it's it's not very good cisco seems extremely nonplussed by this whole thing until an episode like this comes up where the point is for him to get sort of bothered by it. But the other, the only interesting thing that I think about the Bajoran religion is that their prophets do exist and we've met them before. Mm -hmm. So, and as they say in this episode, those prophets can see into the future. So their prophecies therefore should be somewhat accurate because they actually exist. They probably told someone about something and it would be somewhere to go, but it never it never develops off of that. The Bajorans are extremely not interested in talking to their prophets. Like they never want to go into the wormhole and uh, converse and figure out what this all means for everything. And so it's a little bit disjointed. It ends up like this, where you don't really know where you're supposed to go with uh, this storyline, with their religion and everything. It's just, it's weird to me that after they killed off Beryl, they now have an episode that has to deal with this. We're in the third season and this is the most that we've seen Cisco have to deal with that storyline, I think. Yeah, I, it's always interesting to me when stuff like that happens. Um, like, uh, I feel like I feel like Buffy the Vampire Slayer had something similar, where towards the beginning of the series, 
they set they were they were clearly trying to set something up that by like the end of the second season or halfway through second season they were like eh, we're not going to do this anymore right yep um and they it always ends up happening like in the first episode you set up this big overarching kind of thing that you can kind of continue off of before you really figure out what your show's about so you have something you can constantly call back to but then you know things change your show ends up changing the focus and all that kind of stuff and that stuff ends up falling by the wayside yeah um i'm glad that it is because that's like i said i'm not a big fan of it um yeah i'm I'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't do anything more interesting with it because i think there there is um potential there to do that uh especially uh, it's well, I guess I, I was gonna say I, I I guess they could have if they had made the uh, the Bajorans a little bit more um, explicitly religious, but I guess they kind of are because even Kira is you know like I said she's she's got these religious uh, um, this religious background that she f- uh, that ends up coming up every now and then. Um, Although I feel yeah, they, I feel it only comes up in episodes like this. It's it's not a constant part of her character. I think is a big problem. Like. In other episodes that don't have Vedics in them, she never brings mm-hmm. up her faith, really. It's always just kind of... Right. It's, it's when the episode has to deal about Bajoran religion, and I always get the impression that she's kind of lying about it, that she doesn't actually believe it, but when the Vedics show up, she's like, oh, of course, I believe in the prophecies and all that stuff. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of like that about her um, because... It 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 is the kind of character that I I I find believable in that it's someone who, you know, grew up in a religious manner has more or less rejected it, but then every now and then it you know something hits that button. Right. Um, the Bajoran yeah, resistance. It's, it's, the Bajoran resistance seems like it would be the kind of event that would make you question your faith. You know, like right, her, right. her fighting back against a occupation force is the kind of thing that maybe would motivate a character sort of to disbelieve a little bit or not think that everything is on the uh on the level yeah but yeah i i wish i wish it was a little bit more uh used as more of a um a character trait instead of a plot device let's put it that way yeah i'd agree um and that goes for all the bajoran people too like i think like i said i think there was there's a there could have been some interesting stuff going on just in general with these two, it, with the Cardassians and the Starfleet and Bajor in terms of the way that they view things. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, th- this episode certainly doesn't um, go into it. So we talked about the Bajoran religion. We talked about going into the Gamma Quadrant. Um, I'm going to sound super negative on this episode because I think that it's a episode that the problems are very obvious to me. Um, mm-hmm. And it's... Well, well, I didn't think it was terrible. It's just it's kind of an obvious thing. Like the we can move into the, um, the, the menagerie here that we've got of the Cardassians, uh, the Bajorans, and Starfleet working together on this project. What was the plan of the Obsidian Order going into this? Um, if if they did not find the comet, what was going to happen? Yeah, no idea. What did they like? Did they know about the, like everything hinges on them knowing the comet is there so that they can fulfill this prophecy and go through and destroy the wormhole? And it ends up 
being so the reveal is so goofy like you get the entire you every time that that third cardassian talks the other two cardassians like oh jesus like they they're they're exposing <laughs> the fact that something is not on the up and up with her then there's sabotage and then they immediately re- reveal that she's an obsidian order agent and she gets arrested and that's the end of that storyline there's like no right. there's no conflict built off of that it's so simple and then the most upsetting part to me is that o'brien's would-be lover uh wraps up the episode by saying i'm not going to get in trouble the science division will protect me which yeah which goes counter to everything i've been led to believe about the obsidian order in this society that the obsidian order are like the kidnapping torturing cia dark agents of cardassia who like terrorize the citizens of that planet um yeah that whole through line felt really weird to me so uh, yeah, yeah what would yeah, you yeah. think yeah I, I again it was just it felt like manufacturing um plot because everything else that was happening was so boring yeah you know i mean i guess it makes sense but yeah the i don't know what their plan would be yeah like you said if they hadn't found that that asteroid or that comet um yeah i don't know (laughs) (laughs) because it's stated that they want to the obsidian order is doing this to because they don't want a relationship with bajor which Right. Which on 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 its face doesn't even really make sense to me. Like I think I need one more level of explanation as to why they wouldn't want that to be happening. Does that mean that they want to re-annex Bajor? Why wouldn't they want why wouldn't they want to be working together with them? Cuz they got those weird nose bumps. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the the first uh, we're off the nose bumps. This is the first time I've seen I think uh, because we see three female Cardassians, they wear makeup on their little spoon indentation, which I thought well, was a nice touch. Is that what that is? Because I th- I thought I had been noticing that, and it seemed like it was that way only on women, and I couldn't tell. Is it makeup? I thought it was just like a coloring thing that happens with women. I'm, is that not I'm pretty sure it's makeup. I think it's makeup. Oh, okay. Because yeah. they don't all have it, right? It's just two of them, I think, in this one. Um, I might be wrong about that, but I, I thought it wasn't universal across all the women. Oh, I, I guess I, I thought maybe I had seen it before. You might have. Uh, you might have. It, yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's a, it's like a little, um, it's a nice little touch. They have it on their, their neck lines and they have it on the little spoon indentation in their head. Um, yeah, I don't doubt you. It, ma- it makes sense. It, that, that is a, that is a pretty good, uh, pretty good detail. So you liked the O'Brien storyline, but that, that's my, that's my, I don't know if you have anything to add on to it. It's like the Obsidian Order. I don't know what the plan is. If the comet wasn't there, I don't know what the thing is. The, re- the reveal is stupid. She doesn't get in trouble. At the end, like, I feel like if you re- were really writing an episode with stakes, maybe that woman gets executed at the end because of betraying mm-hmm. the Obsidian Order, but she doesn't, I would have had problems because she doesn't have time to fall in, in love with Miles O'Brien or anything, but I think the... Well, I was, I was, uh, oh, you're talking about the, the, the one who calls her out getting executed. Right, yeah, I, because I think the Obsidian <laughs> Order should... dark. <laughs> the Obsidian Order should punish that character, yeah. I think. Well, it's, it's also, it's the, um... I, uh, once that happened, once, once that, uh, saboteur got exposed, first thing I was thinking was, I kind of wish they had done this earlier in the episode, so you could have a little more time to explore that stuff, especially if you're coming off of a peace treaty, and you've got this subset, or black ops people run, uh, doing sabotage missions. In enemy territory. don't even address that. Yeah. Yeah, they don't even address that shit. No, that's, that's Um, a good point. If you had done it earlier, you could go through all of those plot lines and have a ticking clock of a Dominion fleet is coming type thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, if they, they don't really touch on that. Um, 
does the uh, does the communication array thing does that come into play later? I don't think so. I, I think this is the only time I ever yeah, hear about the fuck? it. So I, I don't know why they did. I might be wrong about that, but it's certainly not a major thing that goes forward. Yeah, I mean, I not 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 that we need to rewrite episodes or anything, but I mean, I feel like maybe you blow that shit up yeah. halfway through the episode. <laughs> you know, have the have the sabotage have the saboteur be exposed and then blow that thing up, and you know, then you've got the Dominion to deal with and sabotage and. Just forget about the prophecy part. Yeah, I'm, and and on that level, I'm I'm a little surprised that I uh, we don't. This felt like an episode where we meet the prophets again. I thought when they go through the second time, where they're like, "Oh shit, the wormhole's on fire, and we're dragging these comets through," that felt like a prime time for the prophets to talk to Cisco. I think um, mm. they have not done that in a very long time, but they didn't do it. They just are. It, the prophets are funny to me because it's like this extremely powerful thing that can tell the future, but no one seems interested in communicating with them on any mm. at any time. It's like I'd be out there knocking on their door constantly about what's going on. Yeah, that sounds like something a a plot device that was not thought out that far. Yeah, well, I mean, or at least have at least have a couple, you know, at least have a couple scenes where it's something like the the prophets don't communicate back to us like they they willingly ignore us or something like that but you never really you never hear anything about that um yeah. and then so let's talk about the o'brien romance thing which you said you you enjoyed if you wanted to expand on that i don't like it but i don't like it on a writing level as opposed to any like character work or anything like that so what would you like about it i i don't know i just found it to be the only thing like enjoyable yeah about the episode um i thought the quark scene at the beginning was all right um but yeah, the stuff with with O'Brien, I just I I enjoyed it because it was you know I, it got a couple chuckles out of me. But I don't I don't it, it does sort of really uh, change the plot yeah, <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> the, um, what if it was what if it was Bashir in that role? Would see, see the problem I have with it is if you put someone like Quark or Bashir. Or even Cisco in that role, it doesn't change mm-hmm. your story, which is odd, because the whole thing of if you're going to put O'Brien in that setup, he is the character who's most racist towards the Cardassians, right? That's true. Yeah. So him not really reacting to a Cardassian approaching him, and the the show not really exploring that, feels like it was just thrown in last minute, and they didn't want to think about it. Um, yeah. And I th- I think that's weak writing. Yeah, I think it's. I think it would be tough to to switch him out because so much of it takes place in the engineering room, and that's yeah, he, kind he of needs the, to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, there's another instance where they kind of could have got into something interesting, but chose not to. Which of these storylines yeah, would you have done? Like, I think there's three different storylines, if I'm counting correctly. So there's the religious Cisco uh, angle. There's the O'Brien working with the Cardassian angle, and then there's the like political aspects of the um sabotage stuff Mm -hmm. which one of those Mm -hmm. would you actually like to see have seen this episode be focused on because i think the main problem with the episode is that it does all of those plot lines and it doesn't do any of them particularly well because it doesn't focus on any of them yeah i i probably i probably would have pushed the 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 actual setting up of the um communication array into the background yep 
and used that as sort of like the framing device for everything else that was going on. Because like I like you, yeah, I think you could have. I I would just like to get rid of the prophecy thing completely, frankly. Sure. Um, but like if you push the the conspir- uh the the communication thing into the background, and just yeah, you could then you could lean into the. You'd have an app, an opportunity to lean into the new relationship that is forming between Starfleet, the Cardassians, and the Bajorans a little bit more, and I think that would be more interesting. Yep. Than just spending time trying to figure out how to connect a phone, you know? Yes, I I agree. I think that the I think that the phone connecting should be in the background. It should be like the sort of foundation of what they're doing in the episode. But on top right. of that, should be the exposing cracks in this new alliance thing yeah which it seems and to be honestly, working pretty well at this point for some reason <laughs> yeah and honestly i mean the prophecy thing could still play into it because like i was saying you can use that as a as a source of conflict instead of just like you know quietly saying words every time something happens and then being like oh right there must be there must be a bajoran prophecy he that meant says, color with a u not with an o <laughs> there must be a bajoran prophecy that says something about like do not work with the snakes who have betrayed you or something you know you can make something up like that to have the because the bajoran religion in my opinion should either take a right. stronger stance against the cardassians or it should be for forgiveness and it doesn't really do either one they have this one guy who's kind of fighting back about it but i don't know i i feel like it's a missed opportunity to flesh out the bajoran religion too all right everybody so that's it we're going to come uh we'll come back with an audio clip we're going to take a break me and clay will come back and we're going to break down our final thoughts about destiny almost like the wormhole was wedged open just a crack just enough to let subspace signals through the prophecy came true all of it we just misinterpreted Tricor's words the three vipers he wasn't talking about the Cardassians he meant the three comet fragments the communications relay in a sense we've been trying to peer through the temple gates Silithium ignited the wormhole burning the temple gates so that they never close again and it's all because the emissary used the sort of stars and Tricor saw it all three thousand years ago Clay, i think we need to write our own prophecy about how the gates of the internet provider that we're using has uh, shunned us and shut its its doors on our flaming corpses or whatever the Bajorans say. We're going to- we just need to find a, a stray comet and... <laughs> Fly the ship right through them. Wait a minute. Or maybe comet is prophecy for Comcast. Oh. Maybe we need to switch to Comcast. Well, I'm on Verizon Fios, which is kind of like fire. So I guess it all actually yeah. kind of works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're going to uh we're going to try to get through this quickly because the internet's giving us trouble um it's not a great episode so we're lucky that it's an episode that would give us trouble uh patreon.com if you support the show there you can leave comments about upcoming episodes and we'll read them now destiny christian pouch pros we get to see some cardassian gals and learn that not every cardassian is a psychopath only to learn that one of the three is actually a psychopath cons bajoran prophecies I don't hate the prophets, but I'm not always keen on their stories. Pros, we get to see some friction between Kira and her Bajoran religious beliefs, plus tension with the Cardassians, versus Sisko and his Starfleet responsibilities. 
Cons, it's pretty clear the third Cardassian is a bad person from the moment she walks into the frame. Pros, O'Brien. I was actually expecting it to, to swerve a little bit because she was so clearly, you know, on a different weirdo thing. I, I thought that the, the ones who were overly nice were going to turn out to be the. Oh, the bad the, ones. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe that's what they were. Maybe it's a, a Princess Bride situation where they just ended up switching the cups too many times. Yes, right. <laughs> you know, and it ended up being what you. What, what it seemed like ended up being what it was. Yes. You know? Yep. Yeah. Um, pros, O'Brien's awkwardness, awkwardness with the galore is fantastic. Pretty solid, if not an outstanding episode. Thank you, Christian. So I should have highlighted these. We are on Destiny. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, Destiny, nice little puzzle with Cisco having to start taking the prophecies more seriously in order to solve it. The first time he's had to think that way since the pilot, but not the last. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess people have differing opinions about whether or not this is a good thing that they've done going on. I still think it's, just, it's bizarre timing, uh, especially after Beryl dies. This is one of the episodes that you do immediately after that. Um, Destiny. Destiny, where are we? What's happening? Did no one want to leave thoughts about Destiny? <laughs> is, why, why is that? I can't, I can't possibly imagine. Yeah, that's it, I think. Because there's a communication array breakdown because the little energy is um you know the plot i found i found one there's only one more so not many people wanted to talk about destiny matthew ross says destiny interesting take on defining what makes a prophecy and how this one made everyone look over their shoulders the entire time i like cisco's yeah whatever attitude towards the three vipers eric avari as the vaguely middle easternish vedic plays the philosopher with a plum and seems to be in his holy man phase as this was a year after stargate I liked his hip, the hip millennial Cardassians, and even the coming on to O'Brien. We all know who, what he was thinking of, licking that spoon. Maybe that says more about me, though. Isn't it, a, isn't it a bit too friendly to let these Cardies run all over the station and the Defiant? I mean, aren't they kind of the enemy? Wait, uh, whatever. To me, it was a bit rushed, as, in, as is most of the season, a set of, a set of bottle episodes that do nothing. Where's the DSL line? Hey, it's 1995, and the war episodes. It's with the Prophets, and they didn't mind the permanent opening. Maybe it helped their Wi-Fi. No one from the Dominion is watching, or maybe they're just bored. So, at least according to uh, Matt Ross here, Clay, the the communications thing does not come back down the line. So, yeah, yeah. we can forget. Also, about it. Um, one of the the third woman, not the one with O'Brien and not the traitor, is Nadine from Twin Peaks, which is fun. Oh, is she? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the um. The one that's with O'Brien is from a few sci-fi series from the 90s, I think. I can't, I can't yeah, think Yeah, she name. looked really familiar when I looked her up. Yeah, yeah. Tracy I think, Skaggins or something is her name? Yeah, I think she was a, a pretty uh, uh, common feature on, on cable sci-fi in the 90s. <laughs> well, good for her. Um, that's about it. Yeah, as, as I say, the internet's giving us trouble, so I'm going to get through this here. So, Clay, what are you going to give this one on our 1 to 5 scale? Um. Two, two. Like, yeah, I, I'm gonna say two because I didn't like it. I mean, like I said, it's a, it's fine as an episode. Like, there's nothing that screams terrible about it, but it's, I don't know. I would, not, I would, I would not even come close to watching this ever again. Yeah, that one. I, I, I agree with you. I think I'll give it a three just because I don't think it's horrific. I think it's just it's a, as I said before, it's just that Star Trek episode that's just like never quite gets its footing and is just like. I exist. Uh, watch me if you can, and otherwise forget about me. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm looking forward to uh, Odo taking advantage of Kira's 
shattered emotional state now that her boyfriend is dead. Yeah, uh, yes, her boyfriend. <laughs> her boyfriend is dead, and you watched. Um, you watched in the background. I t- I suggested you watch uh, Heart of Stone. Um, yeah. So you're caught up on that. People can't really ruin that for you. But you. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how I feel about about that pairing. Yeah. Do you want to we'll give a, do, give like a quick breakdown of what you are unsure of about that pairing? I don't know. We're talking about just, Kira I think and Odo. Yeah, I just. I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair to the character, but Odo just doesn't strike me as a guy with a crush. You know. Yes. Yeah. Do you find I, I don't, he's it's just like the the same way like when Spock anytime Spock gets romantic it's weird. Yep. Yep. I I can see that. Um like what what does he do they even have like what are what are the shapeshifters emotion skill set? Right. He gets angry. You know, like, we know they get angry. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I guess uh, I guess I'm trying to think like logically not log- I don't know if logically is the right word, but like extrapolating out, do shapeshifters have relationships like that, or is that I don't know? It, it's just it's just a very odd pairing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, makes I I think it makes sense plot wise, right? Like they are they're, they're not the weirdest pairing that you could have seen out of the show because uh, as you remember from Unnecessary Evil, they know each other the longest out of everybody mm-hmm. um i thought they were gonna put um kira and cisco together because i there was a couple i remember a couple episodes back i was watching i i got uh, they it seemed like that they were kind of angling them toward each other a little bit but yeah apparently yeah. that's not the case yeah i think it was more just a case of getting uh conflicting viewpoints to interact with each other because kira was more strident in the first season um mm-hmm. and she's kind of mellowed out a little bit but yeah uh, the episode it'll be out this will be after that so yeah you've, people have already heard about my heart of stone thoughts so i won't rehash them here uh, so is this like is this like something that actually happens the relationship they get together yeah uh it is a story that continues for a while yeah oh, nice non-answer <laughs> yes it, do, it does continue for a little bit um it's a very divisive storyline i think amongst fandoms so we'll have to we'll have to see where you end up on it after a while um Let's see here. I think that's it. Guys, thank you very much for supporting the show. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support us there. Otherwise, all the social media will be linked. Discord, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Maybe next time we'll get a comment to... I don't know. I can't even make a joke about this. It's so boring. <laughs> it's a pretty boring episode. Destiny, Clay gives it a two. I give it a week three, and I think we'll call it a day there. But it does pick up in a little bit, as you guys know. Um, things are going to be changing. We're just stuck in this doldrum of the middle of the season, which is not a particularly good place to be. Guys, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.